Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Into the noon hour we go. John Grayson here with you. (laughs) I I had a number of other gross-out stories, but I'm going to save them. So uh, we do have a guest who will be joining us at the uh, bottom of the hour. As we told you, actor, director, and writer Don DePetta will join us to talk about his new movie that dropped for streaming last night. Uh, it's a movie called A Place in the Field, and it just looks, it's, it's such a fascinating premise, and I'm looking forward to the conversation to go a little deeper th- uh, into that with him. In the meantime, though, I want to I play a little game because one of my favorite things and it's that kind of day anyway. I mean, here we are. It's the noon hour. It's, it's just going to, you know, we're, we're just <laughs> drifting through a Wednesday, as it were. But one of my absolute favorite things is a sort of a collection is weird facts. And I was listening in uh, this morning while I was just sitting in here in the studio getting ready to talk to you, listening to Wink and Amy go back and forth. And I, I don't even remember what brought up the story. But it just it sort of drifted into my consciousness as I was, you know, reading things and looking over things and just kind of, you know, basic preparation. And it drifted into my consciousness that they were talking about Pepsi. I don't know if you heard this, but Wink mentioned that um, however it came up, the, the name Pepsi, as in Pepsi Cola, where that name came from. And do you know the answer? to that? If you didn't hear the segment, do you know why Pepsi is called Pepsi? Sorry, I was answering phones. I am not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Not I, with you. I wasn't asking you specifically, oh. but that's okay. <laughs> you <laughs> looked at me. I thought do, you're do, you, do you know the answer? Do you know why Pepsi is called Pepsi? I do not. Well, like where the name came from? It was originally, and this this is true of most soda, that if it's been around long enough, I mean, stuff that's like 150 years old or whatever, that they were trying their best to design something that would be used as, as like a stomach tonic. If you had a nervous stomach or you know, upset stomach or something like that, that you would drink this. Um, there was this stuff they used to have, oh, like when my grandmother was a little girl. Um, I'm trying to remember what it is now. It's, oh, bicarb, sodium bicarbonate. And that was a, a relatively successful stomach remedy before we had things like Rolaids and Tums and all of the rest of it. So you would drink bicarb, you'd belch a lot, and then your stomach would feel better. So Pepsi got its start as an experiment into that to try to find out if there was something better tasting because sodium bicarb is like, yeah, it's something that was better tasting than that, that they could use that would have the same effect on your stomach. And it didn't, but, but it did taste pretty good and, and people really liked it and it gave you the little caffeine jolt. So the pep in Pepsi is like peptic as in your stomach, like a peptic ulcer, uh, or, or, um, What's the uh, oh? There's another ailment that I can't remember, but yeah. So Pepsi, 
the, the derivation, the root of the name, is the same as the over-the-counter medication Pepsid. So, you know, what does that mean? Eh, probably nothing in the grand scheme of things, but it's just one of those those little-known facts. And, yeah, as somebody pointed out on the text line just now, Coca-Cola got its name for the obvious reason, because up until the early 20th century, it contained cocaine. It wasn't caffeine in there, it was Coke, and there was a reason why Grandpa wanted another bottle all the time. So that ended uh, with the, the end of Prohibition and the rise of the war on drugs and the rest of it. So, yeah, cocaine eventually. If you look, here's another one for you. At some of the patent medicines, you'll see these things like at flea markets sometimes where they'll have these old bottles of what used to be sold over the counter at the drugstore. And when I say used to be, again, I'm talking about 1890s, 1900s, 19-teens, that era, that contained all kinds of stuff. Marijuana, uh, you know, cannabinol is what they called it. Um, laudanum, which was an early opiate. I mean, all kinds of heavy-duty drugs. And there's a, a great book out there called Drug Crazy that a guy named Dan Gray wrote. Not the same Dan Gray as you might be thinking of that did the Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus thing. But um, he wrote this book called uh, Drug Crazy. And it's about the fact that up until in 1920-whatever, or you know, maybe even as late as the early 1930s, that this amazingly large uh, slice of the American public were fun functioning drug addicts. Because, I mean, the stuff was available over the counter. You stop on your way home, you get a little tonic, you know, and hit that. Uh, and it makes you feel real good and enjoy yourself for the rest of the evening until it's time to go to bed. And you probably slept really good after taking laudanum. So, that, now that's not an advocacy position, by the way. I'm not saying you should take laudanum to try to sleep better, but it probably worked back then. And that's the amazing thing is that that stuff, anybody could just walk into the drugstore and pull that off the shelf and go pay for it and go home and take it. You compare that to the fact that we now have to sign our life away to get Sudafed, it's a little bit of a different world. But see, one of my favorite activities is collecting little-known facts like that. Things that you know that when you tell, it's like, you know, when you're sitting at a dinner party or something and you're like, hey, I've got an interesting thing to tell you. Did you know that deal? So I want to open up the phones and the text line to that for, for the next little while. And see how many things we can teach each other that are among those things. It's like nobody nobody knew that or very few people are aware of that. But just a little fact that you ran into that you kind of keep in your back pocket for times like this. Well, here we are in a time like this. Here's another couple. These I pulled off of a, a website called saveit.in. I don't know what .in is. Maybe it's from India, but who knows. When, you, when the moon is direct, there's a lot of them that revolve around the moon. Um, when the moon is directly overhead, you weigh slightly less. It's the same reason tides happen. The moon is pulling on you, and it's pulling you away. The, like the gravity of the moon is fighting with the gravity of the Earth, and it pulls you up slightly. It's not much, um, but a tiny little bit. It's about a half a gram. A gram is about the same weight as a paperclip. So about a half a paperclip's worth of weight you lose when the moon is directly overhead and pulling you up. The other one about the moon, um, we actually had this happen yesterday. Have you ever been out when the moon is close to the horizon and you look at it and it looks giant and you're like, wow, and then the moon looks like it's like right there. And then later on that same night, you look when it's directly overhead and it looks teeny tiny. It's like you can barely see it up there. Do you know why that happens? 
What would you guess, Colin? If you if you had to guess why that that would happen. So I'm a journalism major. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> not science, not math. Just take a blind stab in the dark. Oh gosh. I, I don't know. Duh. Genuinely don't know. See, I had heard for the longest time that, that uh, you know people had kind of guessed that it had to do with magnification because you're looking through a lot more of the horizon, and the horizon is curved, so that when you're looking at it, it's lensing the moon and making it look bigger even though it isn't. That's not true. The fact of the matter is it isn't any bigger. It, isn't even, it doesn't even look any bigger at the horizon. The, what you have is perspective. You've got buildings and trees and things like that near it, so it makes it look bigger to your eye. But if you took, when it's on the horizon like that, if you took um, you know, a, something to measure it with, you know, take a ruler and hold it out at arm's length and see how wide it is from one side to the other and do the same thing when it's overhead and looks tiny, it will be exactly it's the like same. It's like an optical illusion. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but but it's not. It's it's totally your brain tricking you. It has nothing to do with it looking any bigger than it does at any other time. Um, here's another one about Coca Cola. Coca Cola was originally green. What? <laughs> yeah. Why? I don't know. It was just the, that was um, they, they just used green food coloring instead of the caramel coloring that it has now. I guess maybe people had a distaste for drinking green stuff, which is easy to understand. Yeah, understandable. Um, My other two favorite factoids about Coca-Cola is that it deals with trying to advertise Coca-Cola in China when they were first trying to expand their market share. And Coca-Cola is now huge in China. There's Coke billboards all over the place. But when they were first trying to do that, they ran into two problems. The first one was um, that their slogan at the time was Coke adds life. This was something that debuted, I think, in the early 70s. So that was their you know, Coke ads life. And they said, okay, we want, that's our slogan. So we want to translate that into Chinese. So they hired all these ch- linguists to come in and, and figure it. And they were very cunning to try to figure out how to do that. Um, and, and they all came back and they said, there's no way, th- there's no equivalent to that in Chinese. You can't, th- there's nothing that means what you think that means in English, you know, what that means to an American, because we think Coke adds life. Okay, you drink a Coke and you're out there with your buddies and you're kayaking and you're having a good time and, you know, and Coke brings life to the party. There's no way to say that in Chinese. And they said, well, we, you've got to figure it out. You've got to figure it out. Go back and try again and let us know what you come up with. The closest thing they were able to come up with was Coke brings your ancestors back from the dead. <laughs> I mean, that is adding life after all. And the other one deals with the fact that phonetically, Coca-Cola is really hard to say in Chinese. So they said, okay, what, I, make this so that we can have our name in Chinese characters. And they said, well, okay, you really can't do that either because the L sound and the R sound don't really translate all that well into Chinese. So there's no way to do that either. And so they said, well, we'll get to work on it, see what you can come up with. And the problem is that Chinese using pictograms, uh, the, the letters, each letter has its own meaning on its own. So they came back with what was the closest possible way to make it sound like Coca-Cola if you said it in Chinese. But what that phrase translated into in Chinese was bite the wax tadpole. So... 
they didn't end up using that one either. <laughs> so, like I said, if you have more of these, hit us up on the text line. They don't necessarily have to be about Coke or the moon. Just things that you think are fascinating little tidbits of information that most people don't know. Like another one from this page. The Mona Lisa, no eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah. Just why? I don't know. Maybe, maybe the, what was her name? Um, oh, I don't remember. The, the name of the woman who actually sat for the for the painting. Uh, maybe she didn't have any eyebrows, but the painting, she's a woman, and and you, we've all seen it, right? A million times. We've seen that image, and it just never registers with most of us. Hey, he forgot to put eyebrows on. So hit us up. Let us let us know what you know. Amaze us with your knowledge. 913-586-7798. 913-586-7798. Just little bits of, of trivia and knowledge you've picked up over the years. Let us in on them, and we'll do that just ahead. Stay with us on 98.1 KMBZ. 1222 the time we'll get right to the phones on this and just again asking you for whatever little facts you know there's those little known facts that you keep in your back pocket for you know whenever somebody mentions something you go you know what i know about that so uh, hit us with a bunch of them uh 913-586-7798 text lines all over this we'll get to some of them coming up as well to sue in overland park hello sue hello hey what do you know um the the u.s was going to donate food to people overseas, and I don't remember what country, but it was baby food, such as Gerber, Mm -hmm. and they had the picture of the baby on the jar. Oh, no. People in the country thought, uh uh-oh, that their (laughs) pictures were what was in the jar. Uh Uh-huh. They thought we were feeding them human babies. Right. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Oh, you, you don't remember where it happened, though? I'll the ha- USDA was giving baby food away, but yeah. I don't remember which country. I'll have to find out. That's hilarious. I've never heard that before, but I can totally see it happening. <laughs> Sue, thank you. <laughs> oh, that's what. See, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Here's one. Somebody uh, on the text line said Zebco, like the the fishing line company, the ones that make the rod and reel. Um, I, I, boy, that was in fact my first ever fishing rod was a Zebco, and they said that stands for Zero Error Bomb Company. Wow. How'd they go from making bombs into making fishing rods? One would wonder. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of it. Like Nabisco, I know, is National Biscuit Company. And Neko, like Neko wafers, which, by the way, are awesome. And I will not truck any any argument to the contrary. I love Neko wafers, and I always will, even though they've been gone for a while now. Um, yeah, I know most people hate them, and I don't know why. They're great. But Neko stood for New England Candy Company. So, yeah, that, that was a fairly common thing to do, that kind of mashup of a name. So, makes sense to me, but I just wonder what that uh, that progression with Zebco was like. Eh, we, we've made enough bombs. Let's try fishing reels. Tiffany is in Independence. Hello, Tiffany. Hi, thanks for having me. Sure, what do you know? Um, yeah, so I read my little toddler's books about nature every night, and I found out the other night that those woolly worms or the woolly bear caterpillars that yeah. crawl across the road, they can live, they freeze over the winter, and they have, like, an internal antifreeze. And in colder, harsher winter areas, they can freeze for up to 14 winters. And then when they go through metamorphosis, they only last four or five days. Oh, wow. All that, that time. Crazy? Yeah, all that yeah. time just to get there. And then it's, right. it's like cicadas. Like, so they yeah. have 13 and 17-year cicadas. That's wild. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> Tiffany, thank you. Yeah, w- when we were living in Waterloo, 
that was always there was always like they used that the old timers, you know, the guys who would sit around the bar and just hey, you know, back in my day, they would always use that the appearance of the woolly worms as a predictor of how harsh a winter we were going to have. I never really kept track to see if they were right, but it was always like if they, sh- I think if they showed up early. It was going to be uh, a really harsh winter, and if they showed up late, like late October, early November, it was going to be a mild one, but eh, who knows? I guess the woolly worms do. Mike in Topeka is up next with us. Hey, Mike. Hey, how's it going? Going well. What do you think? Um, so my little fun fact is if you ask most people who invented the light bulb, mm-hmm. more often than not, the answer you'll get is um, Edison. Thomas Edison. Sure. Which isn't true. It's actually Sir Humph- Humphrey Davy invented it in 1809. What Edison invented was the first commercially viable light bulb. So he made it marketable, but he didn't actually invent it. Right, right. And, uh, yeah, his experiments were all what to use for the filament. Um, right. And among other things that he tried, marijuana. <laughs> yeah. He, he actually did. He yeah. tried to use dope to make a filament. For the, it would have made the light bulbs a lot more popular. Yeah, his whole thing was trying to find a way to make it last longer than I think it was five minutes was the longest that uh, Sir Humphrey Davy was able to get one to last. But, yeah, so he didn't actually invent the bulb. He just made it marketable so he could make money. Very cool. Yeah, uh, Mike, I appreciate it. Yeah, there was um, there was a great TV show years ago. Uh, what was the guy's name? David Burke, maybe? That uh, did a show called Connections that went through all of that stuff, how things ended up in their final, you know, in their final iteration, like the stuff that we know, what led up to those inventions. Fascinating show. If you ever get a chance, watch Connections. Off to uh, Brian in Liberty up next. Hello, Brian. Hello. How are you doing? Doing well. What do you think? Okay. Do you know where the term coffee cake came from? Coffee cake? No. Well, back before World War One. And when they when the things uh, over to the double one, the mothers used to bake cakes in coffee cans with cinnamon and sugar and all that. And the cake, the cans were actually resealable with a, a metal lid. Right. So okay. That's where you know the old Hills Brothers coffee cans and stuff like that. That's where coffee cake came from. Huh. Because it was baked in coffee cake. I love it. Brian, I'm going to keep yep. that one with me, too. Thanks, buddy. Um, I'll tell you what. We're, we're, we'll revisit this later on, um, you know, maybe later on in the week, because it's really starting to kick up now, and we haven't even gotten to the ones on the text line. We have a guest joining us, though, after the bottom of the hour. We'll get to him just ahead. Stay with us. John Grayson here with you. Sharing a Wednesday now afternoon on 98.1 KMBZ. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 
John Grayson here with you as Jamie Monticelli continues her vacation. And as we mentioned to you a little while ago, special guest joining us in this segment of the program to do a little talking about a movie that dropped for streaming yesterday, last evening. Uh, so it's out there and available to you now. And it's just, it's such a fascinating sort of setup to a motion picture that we had to bring him in and do a little talking about it. You know Don DePetta for movies like The Green Book. Uh, and now a brand new one called A Place in the Field. And Don DePetta, welcome to the program. Thanks for being with us. John, thanks for having me today. Glad to be here. It's great to talk to you. And I, I've got to say, before we even d discuss the, the movie itself, that I've got a good friend who did almost what you do in the movie. I had a friend who died very young, and they used to hang out in the Sonoran Desert. And after he died, took his ashes with him on one last tour uh, through the Sonoran Desert. And, and it reminded me of that when I first started to hear about A Place in the Field. I thought, wow, this sounds really familiar. Tell us a little bit about the the, the movie itself, uh, you know, the setup to the story and why your character goes through this journey. And then we'll get to some of the, the, the intricacies and the in and outs of the rest of the story. For sure. Yeah, I think it's just like you said. Um, yeah, yeah, people make promises to people, right? Or people want to go on road trips with their friends and... Sometimes, sometimes people pass unexpectedly, but they still hold the, hold on to their word, and that's what this movie is. It's a, it's a story about two veterans who go on a road trip because they made a promise to one of their friends uh, during war that they would go on this road trip across the American Southwest, see the Grand Canyon, and it turns out that uh, they're still going to make that trip. They're just going to do it. Uh, they're just going to do it in a little different way. And um, yeah, I mean. I love road trip films, and so that was really the yeah. uh, that was really behind what was behind this. Like this film to me, um, I, Easy Rider was a huge influence when we were making this movie, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm just so proud of it, and I'm, I'm grateful to be here talking to you today about it. Well, see, and, and this is one of the things that, as I was reading, kind of the story behind the story of the movie, also grabbed me because. It's not easy to get a movie made. I mean, I know I'm not. I'm, I know I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But this is your baby. You wrote, directed, and starred in this movie. I, I can't imagine what that road was like trying to get this greenlit and then pulling it all the way through to completion. Well, I, first of all, I did not direct it. Nicole oh, Mahia, my apologies. Very no, no, that's all right. I wore a lot of hats on this project because we had to because this was a this was a totally independent movie. Uh, a kind of away from Hollywood and definitely out of the studio system. This was a group of people who, during the middle of the pandemic, um, a lot of people were going through film school. Everybody was sitting around. And so we saw an opportunity. We wrote a script as fast as we could. And uh, we, we all caravanned down to New Mexico, stayed on a ranch for a month, lived together, and basically uh, came up with this film and did a road trip along the way. So when you see us driving and doing all these things, this is us actually <laughs> out there in the, middle, in the middle of the Southwest figuring it out. That's great. And and the, the other part about this is, I mean, you mentioned that we're talking about veterans who made a promise during wartime to each other. And it seems to me that there's a lot of uh, an, a parable involved in this that is accurate, uh, which is that we do a terrible job with our people in uniform, helping them assimilate back into civilian life where everything isn't a threat. Tell me about that piece of it and what you, what, why that personally connected with you when you were writing it. 
Yeah, and this was a this was a very um, personal story in that way, and it was more so as we started to write the film and talk to different veterans and meet with different people. Um, unfortunately, you're right; the, the number's still around 22 a day, um, and we we have to do better. So, if we can shed a little bit of light on that, absolutely. Like, I'm 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 really proud that we made this film. But uh, speaking to a lot of the veterans, uh, Hollywood usually does this thing where you you see this veteran film and he's torn apart and he's uh, either losing his mind or, or going down a wrong path with drugs or he's robbing banks or any number of, of crazy situations. And that's not the experience I found with, with the men and women. I, they are capable. They work well in teams. They're good in leadership positions. Uh, but a lot of times they're fighting this, this silent struggle. And so we wanted to, to be as authentic as possible and show a little bit of just a man who's a little bit lost right now has had some loss in his life, but really just he, he's fighting to keep going and he wants to he wants to take those first steps towards healing. Yeah. And, and tell me a little bit more about those conversations with veterans. Um, what was the venue where that happened? How did you make that happen? And, and did you find anything along the way that surprised you or came as a sort of an eye opener to you? Um, well, one of the, one of our other writers, this was a whole group effort. So one of the other writers on the film, his name is Bluesman Del Vecchio. He's actually active military right now. So having conversations, um, with, with these guys, and I grew up in Georgia. And so for me growing up, uh, it was either you kind of played sports and, and if you were lucky enough, you got a scholarship to keep playing something in college or a lot of guys, their option was, you know, I'm going to get some crazy job or I'm going to join the military. And there wasn't a lot outside of that, especially at the time. And so I still have a handful of friends that are, that are currently serving. And so this story was important that, that, you know, I would ask the questions and be like, okay, well, what do you like about what you see in veteran films? What do you dislike? And let's stay away from those things because I, I just want to tell a story that's truthful and authentic uh, to what you guys go through. And so far we've, uh, We've resonated with the ones that have seen it, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. That's great, and that's an excellent way to do it is, is just, just lay it out to them. What are the tropes that annoy you every time you see another one of those up on screen, right? Right, and that was a lot of it. When we talked to veterans, they go, oh, no, another another <laughs> one of these movies, another one of this. And I go, no, 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 tell me, tell me what to stay away from. Tell me what to stay yeah. away from. We won't do it. Tell me what you feel on a daily basis. What is it like? And what I found through that is, is this journey of struggling or trauma or PTSD is universal. It's not, it's not just, you know, veterans are not, they're not, I guess, the only people that, that go through hardships or experiences. That's a universal, that's a universal theme. So it was like, okay, great. What can I pull from my life? What are some parallels and how can we, how can we write a film about the beginning of, of trying to heal from that? All right. So tell me a little bit more about that in, in uh, as, as we take a look at, at your career, because, I mean, as we said, making a movie is no mean feat. It's it's not an easy <laughs> thing to do, but neither is becoming a successful actor. So uh, how did your own sort of creative path happen for you where you ended up in a movie that, that you know, was uh, was all over the Oscars broadcast just a few years ago? That's so funny. Uh, you you used that word successful, and I still I still go. Am I? I, go, I really? <laughs> I go, is that is that what's happening right now? Right. Uh, I I feel like I've been a journeyman actor for the last eleven years, and I'm still doing still doing parts here and there and bit parts and doing whatever I can. But I've been very grateful to land in some really wonderful films, like you said, like you mentioned, Green Book. Um, that was I mean that was an incredible experience. I was definitely out of my depth at that point <laughs> in my career. 
But to be but to be around those guys and see Vigo Mortensen and Mahershala Ali act the way that they did, that was that was a masterclass in, in doing that. But uh, definitely wasn't what I thought I was going to be doing. But I'm I'm really glad to be here. But I feel like I'm at the beginning of it. That's you know it's interesting to hear you say that because uh, I, I mean describing yourself as a journeyman actor, I think there are people who would say, "Listen, if that's what gets me into the movies, sign me up." You know, the, 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 I guess it's that own difference in your vision of your own success, right? <laughs> right, right. I have to remind myself. I'm I'm very grateful. I'm very very grateful to be working. I'm very grateful to have this movie out now. And uh, I have to thank Lionsgate for that. I mean, this film was made completely outside of a studio with a group of passionate people. And when we showed it to Lionsgate, they were the first people we showed the film to. And they said, great, absolutely. And they championed it. And to, to be with them and be able to release, you know, now streaming all over the country, is uh, it, it's pretty amazing. Don DePetta is with us, and again, the brand new movie is out and available for streaming now. It's called A Place in the Field, and that gives us the perfect opportunity. We'll remind folks again about this at the end, but how do we find the movie? Where is it streaming? Sure, this is streaming. Right now, you're available to rent or buy. It's on Amazon Prime, uh, Apple TV, uh, YouTube TV, Google Play, on demand on your cable providers. This is everywhere you can rent or buy a film. That's where you can get this. Excellent. And uh, again, we'll we'll let you know that uh, as our conversation draws to a close. But in the meantime, you know, again, when you talk about those great experiences in acting, what was what was the first crack at it? When did you know? You know what? This is something that not only do I feel comfortable with, but this is something that I absolutely love doing. Uh, I, I've loved doing it for a while. I used to, I played college baseball and I played a little minor league baseball, but I would always take elective courses where I would take a theater because I was like, Oh, this is easy. I can, I can flirt with girls and, and just <laughs> play around for like, I thought that that's what, and, and I found I, I had a little bit of a knack for it. And, uh, but then, but then, like I said, you step on set of green book and uh, Vigo Morton sitting across from me at the table and Linda Cardellini's looking you in the eyes and I go, yeah. Oh my gosh, can I do this? I don't know if I'm any good, and we're going to find out right now. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is, which is, you know, it's a humbling experience, but, you know, sometimes you just got to get thrown into the water and try and swim around. I'm just really interested in that because I'm finding out right now that being a minor league baseball player isn't that great a way to meet girls. Well, that was, that, well, that's a different interview. That's a different uh, yeah, I, I happen to know a girl that I went to high school with who ended up married to a minor league ball player. So, yeah, I'm hip, dude. <laughs> um, well, listen, it, it, it is. I mean, it's like we said, it's such a fascinating premise to a movie. And there's so much about it that is, I mean, you know, little bits and pieces of it here and there, even you know, what led up to the death of the person that ended up making this road trip dead uh, that are, I mean, that, that will that will resonate, that will connect with absolutely everybody. It was a brilliant uh, piece of work, and I'm looking forward to get, you know, going through and seeing it again for the second time. But, uh, oh, wow. but one more time, yeah, again, for folks that are looking for it on streaming, the movie is called A Place in the Field. And it's about the the lead up to and then this eventual road trip that happens. And anywhere anywhere streaming is available, you can get it, yeah? Yes, absolutely right. Excellent. Well, listen, Don DePetta, we really appreciate the conversation. Thank you so much for being with us and telling us more about the film. Oh, thanks so much for the time today. I really appreciate it. You got it. Take care of yourself. We'll do some more talking here. And again, thanks to Don DePetta for uh, spending a little time with us on the show today. We'll get back into your phone calls just ahead. Go through some of the things that we were referring to on the text line that we didn't have time for. Stick with us. John Grayson here with you on a, a Wednesday afternoon on 98.1 KMBZ. All right, just a couple of quickies to uh, wind up the hour with. 
I don't even know where to start, honestly. I mean, with what I've got on the table in front of me, I'm not sure which one of these is is the lead and which one of them is the one to follow. But I'm going to start with a, a story that showed up on Reddit. It's not even really a story. It's a, a video that was posted of a guy, and I don't know where this happened. It's a story that showed up on Jalopnik uh, by, by way of Reddit where somebody had posted a video of a guy who apparently was really, really irritated that he was sitting there at a stoplight, at a red light, and could not make a right turn on red. Because, you know, sometimes you see those signs that they say, no right on red, this intersection. Well, this particular no right on red sign was on a wooden post next to, instead of hanging, like, uh, on the street lights like they usually are or over top of the intersection, on, uh, on the wires, it was just on a post next to the intersection. So this guy pulled up in a little black Volkswagen, looks like a Jetta or something, little Volkswagen sedan, and grabbed an axe <laughs> out of the back of his car, went over and just started hacking away at the street sign. Now, either this guy really needs to sharpen his axe or that's the world's most dense wooden post because it took him a good long time to bring this thing down. But I was just going through and thinking, okay, of all the things I've ever been mad at in my life, have I ever been mad enough to actually swing an axe at something? And I'm not sure. You got to give the guy credit, though, for for sticking with it. And uh, I guess what he doesn't understand is that even if you're successful and you take the sign down, you still can't make a right on red at that intersection. It, it doesn't change the law where you are that you knocked the sign down. It's like, well, there was no sign there anymore, so I just assumed <laughs> that I could make a right on red. Now, th that's, not, that's not how that works. Um, we move from there to a guy that should really know when he's caught. This story takes us to Henderson, Kentucky, where the Evansville Police Department have arrested a man that they say had drugs and a gun tucked into, this is the wording that they use in the article, tucked into his butt. Now, we go on to learn that it was a traffic stop for a dim license plate light. Now, let me give you a quick, quick translation on that before we get any farther into this story. That means they already knew this guy was doing something wrong, okay? If somebody pulls you over for a dim license plate light, they know you're up to no good. They just need an excuse to pull you over. So they found one, and they pulled him over. They said one of the passengers in the car, Christopher Boyd, age 32, while they were searching him, they found a small bag with multiple pills in his right sock. After a failed alert from a canine, uh, according to an affidavit, Boyd stated that the pills were from his aunt for a lodged bullet in his spine. So, yeah, tell the cops that, too. Oh, yeah, well, I got a bullet lodged in my spine, so I got to take Percocet. When asked why there were two different pills, he said, oh, she must have mixed up my medicine. They're not going to buy that either, man. But it gets even worse. He also stated that he couldn't spread his legs too far because of an injury he suffered while the officers were searching the area. But officers uh, allegedly noticed that he was tensing up. He was a little clenched, shall we say. Boyd said that he did not have uh, anything stuffed in his butt or groin. This is all according to tristatehomepage.com. Evansville Police Department says at the jail he walked with a limp and appeared to be clenching while he was... 
You can oh, do it. This, you can do it. I know you can do okay, it. Okay, I'll try. I'll, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> the idea that this guy is you know, just kind of you know doing the, the like the duck walk. Um, but yeah, clenching while he was walking, a body scanner allegedly detected a large object, and further searched uh, a further search turned up two bags with a green leafy substance. Do any of you students know what this green leafy substance I have is? Um, after allegedly struggling, he was able to be lowered to the ground, and officers allegedly found a handgun in between his butt cheeks. A later check of the gun revealed that it was not stolen, but very smelly. All right, I added that last part in. The affidavit also states that Boyd continued to be uncooperative. No kidding. This guy? Uncooperative? Before being placed in a restraint chair. I know this will come as a shock. He has a rather long criminal history. No. I know. No. It's hard to believe. Uh, Check of the pills revealed that uh, white pill identified as acetaminophen and oxycodone, uh, Schedule II narcotic. The two M30 pills were also identified as oxycodone. A small amount of fentanyl in one of them and the green leafy substance got a positive test for THC. Way to go, Sergeant Stadenko. You got him. All the drugs totaled 14.1 grams. He was booked on multiple intimidation, trafficking, and possession charges. Look, dude, between you and me, I say to him as though he's listening, when they already know (laughs) that that you're walking with a phony limp and clenching your butt cheeks because you've got a gun back there, you're already caught. You're going to jail. They're taking you to jail. It's it's not like, oh, well, either we search your butt or, you know, we'll just let you go. What did he think he was going to gain by continuing to deny anything was back there? You're already caught. You have to know when you're already caught. So and you, we, have, we have this guy. Sorry, I mean to cut you yeah, off. That's right. We have, we have this guy. Yeah. And I think, what was it, a month, two months back, something like that, we had the woman that got into the baseball game by hiding the gun. Under her, like, stomach? Yes, under the, under the folds should of her. We, should we make a bingo card at this point <laughs> on weird places? Weird places. That people to are going to get caught with oh, their guns. You know what? We, we, one of these days, we're going to have to get a cop in here because yes. I would imagine they, the they must have a hundred stories about where people have tried to hide guns and drugs. Just that alone could probably fill hours of programming. Um, but yeah, in addition to other things, he was also a serious violent felon and domestic batterer and had a protective order against him, which prohibited him from carrying a handgun in the first place, even if it's clenched in between his butt cheeks. I'm just glad for his sake that it didn't go off. So um, from there, why not head to Florida, right? Because you know it's going to do nothing but get weirder. Were we not already there? Hearing this story. Surprising, right? Uh, No, this was Kentucky. But yeah, from there we go to Miami, where a Florida woman is now behind bars, according to the folks at the Miami-Dade Police Department at Yahoo News, because she allegedly stabbed her boyfriend. Sandra Jimenez, uh, trust me, it gets weirder. Sandra Jimenez, age 44, was arrested and booked into jail on on a charge of aggravated battery. The alleged incident happened at a home in Miami-Dade County where she lives with her boyfriend. The two have been reportedly together for eight years, which when you hear about what's about to happen, you're going to think is eight years too long. Police were called to the hospital after a man showed up there and said he had been stabbed in the eye. The girlfriend was mad at him because he had been looking at other women. 
So, you know that line in the Bible about how if your eye offend thee, pluck it out? Well, you see, you're not supposed to do that to somebody else's eye, okay? That, that's a different verse altogether. Uh, and it gets even worse when we find out that what happened was she jumped on him while he was asleep on the couch, and that's when the stabbing occurred with one of her dog's rabies needles. That's what she stabbed him with in the eye. Uh, police said that she then left her house after she, quote, realized what she had done. That's always a weird line to read in a story like this. It's like when she realized, you know, she did it, right? I mean, allegedly. Squirrely Dan. Um, yet she's the one that they're accusing of this. What do you mean when she realized what she had done? Like she was overtaken by some wild urge. She was found sleeping in a vehicle outside the home and was arrested, according to the affidavit. When police ask her about what happened, Jimenez said that the man's injuries were self-inflicted. Yeah, that's, that's a good sell. He stabbed himself in the eye with a rabies needle because I was mad at him. Don't think they're going to buy that one either. And our final one for the hour comes to us from our good friends over at thesmokinggun.com, where we have a drug suspect who came up with an interesting excuse when he was confronted by police with a plastic cylinder containing methamphetamine, which was hidden. <sighs> There's got to be a better way to put this than what I've got on the page in front of me. Uh, hidden in the middle bottom area of his underwear. We'll leave it at that. You can kind of make the decision from there as to exactly where it was. The discovery of the drugs in the drawers of Caleb Phillips, age 46, came yesterday as he was undressed from his civilian clothing and changed into his jail clothing. He said, I didn't put it there. Somebody must have stuffed it in my underwear while I was sleeping. Brilliant. Wow. I don't know why I didn't think of that one. More to come. Final hour of the show on the way. John Grayson here with you on 98.1 KMBZ. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.